Good morning, 1115. How are you guys doing this morning? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, welcome to Coastal Community Church. My name is TJ, and I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us this morning as we're beginning a brand new series called Sweet Dreams. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about what are some of the things that keep us up at night? What are some of the fears? What are some of the worries? What are some of the anxieties that keep us from living to the full potential of what God intended for us to live in? And and over the next couple of weeks, I believe with the power of God at work in our lives, we're going to be able to overcome some of those things. And we're going to ex- truly experience the life and the freedom that Jesus intends for every single one of us to live. And so if you have a Bible today, we're going to be hanging out in John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, when you walk in, hopefully you received a worship guide. Inside there is a set of notes. All the scriptures and stuff will be in there. If you don't have that, you can just pay attention on the screen. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, today as we dive into this series, Sweet Dreams. As a kid, um, I had a lot of fears. Anybody else have a lot of fears and anxiety and some different things as a kid? A couple of us, so you, you can relate. And, and as a kid, I had some, some interesting childhood. My parents got divorced at a very young age, and I was exposed to a lot of things. And part of, part of what happened in my life is that uh, when my parents got divorced, I just it really stressed me out. I had this like sense of abandonment, like my parents were going to leave. And so it made me really depressed. And I ended up in counseling. I ended up putting on all this weight. I was a super active, fun-loving kid. All of a sudden, man, I'm, I'm, all I do is sit in front of a TV and I put on all this weight. And I became the fat, chunky, annoying kid. And maybe for, for some of you guys, you remember that kid from school. Maybe you were that kid, so you can relate. But I was that kid that was just always seeking attention, always wanted people around because I didn't want anybody to abandon me. And, and the school that I went to, it was a private school. And because of that, I had to ride the bus to school. Any, any bus riders out there, you rode the bus to school. The bus can be a brutal thing, especially when it's not uh, set up based on ages. Like ours wasn't like just elementary school kids. It was like kindergartners through high school kids. And how many of y'all know high school kids can be brutal? And so I'm like in second, third grade. Yeah, all the high schoolers are like, yeah, I know that can be brutal. Uh, I'm in second or third grade. I'm the annoying fat kid. And apparently I was being annoying that day. And one of the high school kids came up behind me on the bus and gave me the biggest wedgie I've ever received in my entire life up until this point. And so I don't really want another one. But uh, he came up behind me and he picked me up off the ground, which I can't believe my underwear held. I mean, I was that chunky. And in our bus, there was like this grate above where the windows were. And he lifted me up and he put me and hooked me on the grate. And so we're rolling down the street in our bus and I'm like hanging from my drawers from up top of the bus. And and like I was terrified. And I don't know about you, but when when I got scared as a kid or when I was afraid, there was this place in my house that I called my safe place that I would run to and it was down the hall close to my bedroom. There was this closet and I would go and I'd get in this closet and I I kind of curl up in this little ball position. And I can I can I can still see myself in that position and all of a sudden when I would get in there, everything in life would kind of slow down and I was safe. There weren't any worries. There weren't any fears. That was my safe place. Now, 
Also, as a kid, I had night terrors. You know, they're the things that aren't quite as bad as nightmares. But in my mind, in my dreams, I would be running from something. Particularly, I, I saw the movie Troll. I don't know if you're if you're that old, but I saw this movie Troll as a little kid, and it terrified. It still tears. In fact, I was driving back here, and I was thinking about this movie Troll, and I was getting scared in my car uh, of this troll. And so I'm like, "Where's my closet?" And uh, and 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 I, in my dreams, I would be running from this troll, and I knew that if I could just get to this closet in the hallway that everything would be okay if I could just make it there. Because in my dreams, as soon as I got to that safe place, it could no longer touch me. Now, I grew out of those particular fears in life, just as most of us did. And I went on to acquire some new fears like most of us have. And I still have some fears that kind of freak me out at at times. Um, And if we were all honest, we'd probably say we all have some fears that freak us out at times. And so my question for you is, is what is your worst fear today? Is your worst fear the, the fear that maybe you're going to fail publicly and everybody else is going to see it and everybody's going to look at you and they're going to think that you're a failure? Is your worst fear that maybe you're sick right now and you're never going to get well, you're never going to get healthy, you're never going to end up whole? Is your worst fear that maybe you're unemployed and you'll never be able to find that right job or the perfect job or end up in the career spot that you want to end up in? Maybe it's a fear of heights. Maybe it's something superficial like that. Maybe it's a fear of being abandoned. You think people are going to let you down. Maybe it's a fear that you'll never find the right person. Maybe it's a fear that you'll be be forgotten by others. But if you've struggled with fear or you've struggled with anxiety, or you've struggled with worry, listen, you're not alone in that. You are not alone in that thing. Because fear, worry, doubt, all of those things, it is not a respecter of persons. It it comes upon the rich and the poor. It comes upon those that are powerful and those that are weak. It comes upon those that that have it going on and those that don't. It comes upon the, the old and the young. It is not a respecter of any person. It comes upon the person doesn't have it going on and the person that thinks they got it going, going on in life. Now, I think most of us would have at least one fear in our life that keeps us up at night. How many of you guys would be honest and say, man, there, you know, there's some things in my life right now or there's something in my life right now that, man, it gets me worried. Like, I'll lose sleep over that thing. It, it's a struggle. Yeah, a lot of us. A lot of us struggle with those things. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this passage out of John chapter 20 of some other people that were dealing with some very, very real struggles in life. And, and we're going to learn through scripture, what are some ways that we can cope and what are some ways that we can deal with the fear and the anxiety and the struggle and the worry that we have in our life. And so in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19 and 20 through 21, it says this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, this is an interesting story. Um, and a lot of times we just read over this and we just bypass it. If you're not really understanding the context of what's happening, what's really, really interesting about this story is this story is taking place somewhere between 12 and 24 hours 
after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus had just rose from the dead. And the picture is, is the disciples are in the upper room and they've got the door locked and they're freaking out. Like they are in complete freak out mode. Anxiety is at the nines. I mean, uh, they're just wondering like, what in the world are we going to do? How are we going to cope? What is going to happen? And they're not freaked out over the fact that three days ago, or four days ago, actually, that Jesus was put to death. That does not scare them. What scares them is the fact that the tomb is empty, and Jesus is on the loose, and they don't know where he is, and they know that some religious people are going to be very, very upset that Jesus is on the loose, and they're going to think that some of his friends probably stole his body. And so they know, and they're thinking in their mind, and they're terrified that these Jewish people that crucified Jesus are going to be coming after them and are going to get them. And so they're freaking out. And then in the midst of their freak out, Jesus rolls through the wall into their situation. Now, I know some of y'all are like, really, you think that Jesus went through the wall? Literal translation says Jesus walks through the wall, which I think is a pretty cool thing. Now, some of you guys might not think that's a big deal, but I look at this and go, man, that's cool because he resurrected from the dead. Like he's just doing tricks now. And so he rolls through. They're terrified. And what does he say in that moment? He says, peace be with you. Because he knew that the one thing that the disciples needed in that moment where they're terrified was peace. And I don't know what it is that you're going through today or what obstacle is in front of you or what worry is keeping you, you racing at night. But the thing that you need and the thing that you're searching for right now is peace. And I love the fact that Jesus walks through these walls that the disciples have built up. He walks through the walls of their shame that they've been hiding and in fear. He walks through the, the walls of their regrets for not standing up and saying something. He walks through the walls of their fears of what's happening around them. And he walks into the very situation and says, listen, 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 listen. I love you and I'm for you. And I want you to know that when I'm here, there is peace. And if you're still alive, I'm not done with you yet. And I've got a purpose and I've got a plan for your life. But more than that, I've got an assignment for you. He says, I'm going to give you some peace, and then I'm going to tell you to do something with that in your life. And for some of you, you need to hear that today because you're terrified, and you're afraid, and you've built up walls, and you've built up all these things emotionally, physically, relationally around you. And Jesus is walking into your situation and saying, peace be with you. He's saying, as long as you're still here, I've still got a plan for you. Don't give up hope. And the reason Jesus rolled up in that situation is because Jesus knew that fear could be one of the most crippling things that we'll deal with on this earth. See, at the very core of fear, the very essence of what fear is, is fear is a thief. And Jesus knew this. He knew that fear was going to constantly come and try to erode our faith. Fear was going to come into our life and try to steal our freedom. Fear was going to come into our life and try to run away with our hope. He knew that if fear was coming into our life, it would make us obsess about ourselves and get us focused on ourselves and specifically the limitations that we have in our own life that we see in ourselves. He knew that if we would focus on fear, that we would stop connecting with other people because we think that people would see the, see the inadequacies and where we're not enough 
in ourselves and, and all of a sudden we'd push away from them. He knew that if we would keep seeing fear, that we would stop taking risks and believing for the impossible when we serve a God that is the God of the impossible. He knew that fear would eventually erode the trust and the faith and the admiration and the love that we have for Jesus Christ because we'd be afraid to take steps for him. And maybe one of the most damaging things that Jesus understood about fear is fear would cause us not to live in the moment. Because if you think about fear, what is fear always projecting upon? Your future. Fear is never about that moment. It's always about what's going to happen further along. And here's the thing. You don't have what's promised to you in the future. You have what's promised to you right now. And when we start living in fear, we're missing out on the now for what could be in the future. And we're missing out on the potential of what Jesus wants to do in our life right at that moment. And Jesus knew that this fear thing would be so deadly. That's why out of the 125 commands and imperatives he gives in the New Testament, out of those 125 things, 21 times he talks about this idea of fear. And he says, man, I want to command you to not be afraid, to not fear, to have courage, to take take heart. And over and over again, he's communicating this idea that, man, fear is not to rule and reign in our life. In fact, if you were to look at the second greatest command that Jesus talked about in the New Testament, eight times he talked about this command. And we all have heard it before. Love God and love your neighbor. That's a pretty prominent one. Most of us would say that that's a pretty important one. Eight times he talked about that. 21 times he tells us to not be afraid. And I'm not saying that, that the amount of times Jesus says something puts an importance on it. But what it does say is that Jesus and our fears, he took those things quite seriously. In fact, 15 of the times in the four Gospels, what he tells us over and over and over again is fear not. Why would Jesus say that? Because he knew that it would be something that we would all struggle with. And so how do we combat this fear in our life? How do we learn how to combat fear? And I think we have to learn how to combat fear with our faith. And see, we don't have a fear problem in our life. What we really have is we have a faith problem. And most of us, we know this to be true, because you're not really afraid of that circumstances or that situation. You just don't have enough trust in God to believe him. I know when I look at my life, and I start evaluating, most of the times, I'm not afraid of those things. I just don't have enough trust yet that Jesus is going to come through. And it's a struggle. And I'm just, it ticks me off, honestly. Because for myself and as a, as a church, man, I want us to live these faith-filled lives. And my goal of this series over the next couple of weeks is not that we're going to live a fearless life because there are some healthy fears. Listen, if you're standing on the edge of a 10-story building, like it's a good time to have some fear right there. Like there are some good fears in life. But a lot of the fears that we're talking about here and that we're dealing with are not good fears. They're fears that are detrimental to our faith. And the goal of this series is not to allow our fears to dominate us anymore. That is the goal of everything that we're doing. And our focus isn't going to be on how do we fear less. The focus is going to be on how do I trust God more in my life? How do I put more trust into what God says about me and who I am? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage out of Psalms 121. 
in conjunction with this John chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at the, uh, uh, David's life here in a psalm that he wrote in a very troubling time, in a very fearful time of his life. In fact, at this time, he was the king of Israel, and his son Absalom was gaining influence and started to throw a coup over the kingdom of Israel. And so people are starting to follow Absalom. David is very terrified for his life, and so he's actually fleeing the palace when this scripture is written, and, and he's running to his safe place, because we all have that safe place, his hiding place. And in the midst of that, he has this revelation from God. And I think it's a beautiful thing, and there's some things that we can take from it. And it says this in Psalms 121, 1 through 3. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip he who watches over you will not slumber. And what I want to do is I want to spend the next couple of minutes and I want to look at three things that God gives us this picture of that we're to do when we're in the midst of fear and worry and difficult times. And the first one is this, is instead of focusing on the pro all the problems, we need to, number one, focus our attention on God. We need to focus our attention on God. It says, I lift up my eyes. And, and this isn't just a physical thing of, of lifting up your eyes. This is actually a very poetic Hebrew way of saying, like, it's time for you to focus not on what's just in front of you, but what's possible that's out there. It's time to stop just looking at the ordinary, start looking for the extraordinary things. And here is the amazing thing about God, is God has created us with the ability to take captive every thought and take control of whatever we put our mind on. Like, we don't have to just let any thought or anything come through our mind. We can actually put our focus on whatever we choose to put our focus on. And so if I want to focus my attention on my problems, then I'm going to focus my attention on my problems. If I want to put my focus and my attention on my finances, then I'm going to put my focus and my attention on my finances. If I put my focus and my attention on my health, then it's going to be on my health. But I can also choose to put my focus and my attention on God. It's my choice. And so what is it that you're focusing on right now? Is it you're focusing on your finances? Is it that you're focusing on your diminished power and ability that was taken from you at work? Is it that you're focused on the struggles that you're having making your mortgage payment? Is it the struggle that the fact that you're single right now and you want to be married? What is it that you're focusing on? And if you don't really know what you're focusing on, I'll give you a really easy secret to figure it out. What do you talk about the most? Because whatever you talk about the most is what your focus is on. And so if you're constantly talking about, man, I'm just so broke. I just don't have enough bill, money to pay the bills. You know what your focus is on? It's on your finances. If you're talking about all the time, like, I just need a man. I hear this from single ladies all the time. I just need a man. I need a man in my life. You know what your focus and attention is on? It's on that single dude. And whatever you put your attention on is going to get the majority of your thoughts. Now, for me personally, I struggle with this because I'm ADD. Whatever has got the main thing in my life at that time, that gets all of my attention. And so like right now, besides Jesus, all of my attention is on working out. Like that's the thing that's big in my life right now. So every conversation that I have, my wife was pointing it out last night. Everything that I look at on Pinterest, everything that I read on Flipbook, yes, I want, I'd go on Pinterest and I'm a dude. It's okay. Uh, there's cool stuff on there. Uh, like everything that I read about, everything is, is working out and cross 
CrossFit, you know, because the first rule of CrossFit is you got to talk about CrossFit. And so, and so like, I, like it's all of that focus right now. Now, I know three weeks from now, my focus will be on food because I'm starving myself right now. And so all of my focus, all of my attention will be eating food and what kind of food I ate and we should eat more steak and just all those things. And so like my attention goes all over the place. And so if something happens over here, it's like, hey, whoa, what, what's over? You know, it's just constantly like that. So I know for me, before I go and check Sports Center in the morning or before I go and do anything, I got to get my attention on the one thing. And that means I need to get in God's word and I need to search God and say, God, what do you say about all this stuff before I start hearing all the other voices in the world? It's one of the reasons why we encourage you by giving you the devotionals and telling you to read Bible plans and all of those things because you need to fix your eyes. You need to get your attention on God. And if you don't pay attention to what has your attention, you'll be giving your attention to the wrong things. And a lot of us are putting our major attention on minor things. And it's time for us to put our focus on God. It says, I lift my eyes. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's saying, man, we've got to focus our attention on God. And then number two, we've got to understand that God not me, is in control. We've got to understand that God, not ourselves, not you, not me, is in control. He says, where does my help come from? Here's a newsflash. Your help does not come from you. I know every time I try to help myself, I hurt myself. Anybody feel me there? Anybody know what that's like? You're like, I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm, I'm do this on my own, and I jack it all up. Yeah, I see there's a lot of heads nodding. Keep nodding your head, yeah. Anyways, um, sorry. It's not you, it's the Lord. And who is he? He is the maker of heaven and earth. This is what I know. When we start dealing with fear, our natural tendency is to go into control mode. When we start having fear in our life, it's so normal for us to try to take control and manipulate every single situation that we can. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're assuming a position in the universe that we don't own and that we're not supposed to take. And what we do in that moment is we, we go, you know what, I'm going to rely on my gifts. I'm going to rely on my abilities. I'm going to rely on my education. I'm going to rely on my social network. I'm going to rely on my finances. I'm going to rely on my abilities. And we start putting our trust in ourselves. And one day we realize when all of those my's and I's don't work, that there is one place we need to lift our eyes to. And it's not ourselves. It's the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, it's the author of life. It's the author of your life, and he's the author of my life. And I think the area where we start fearing the most is when we have an idea of what our life is supposed to look like. Anybody have any ideas of what their life is supposed to look like? Most of us do. And what happens? It looks nothing like that. That's where we get most afraid because, like, I have this picture of, this preferred picture of what my life is supposed to look like. And that picture and reality, they don't look very good. Like, they don't inter interchange at all. 
For some of us, that picture was as I'm married with three kids and driving a minivan, and over here you're single, living with a roommate. For others of you, it's like, man, I'm going to have this incredible career, and I'm going to be here, and right now you're there. But you thought you were going to be here. And we get this picture. There's this great verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. Maybe you've heard of it or seen it on a postcard or it's hung up in your house and it says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We all have plans. Every single one of us have plans. Now, the thing that I've noticed about this verse is God doesn't say, for I know the plans you have for you. I mean, has anybody read that version in their Bible? Like, I wish God had that version. Like, that he, I mean, he does know the plans that I have for me, and he's pretty much like, your plans suck. I got some other ones. But I like my plans, God. I mean, I think my plans are awesome. But he doesn't say, for I know the plans you have for you. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. Which means that God has got a completely different set of plans than what most of us are working from. And is it possible, just maybe, possibly, that his plans are way better than your plans? I mean, is it possible that his plans really are going to give you hope and a future and prospering, and your plans are just giving you heartache and pain and keeping you up at night? Some of us, we need to start realizing that, man, we're not in control, God is. And we start to relinquish that control and say, God, you have the plan. Man, and I recognize that, all of a sudden, it gives you hope. He says he's the maker of heaven and earth. And then in verse 3, he continues on. He says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. And here's what we need to remember right here, that we need help and that we're not alone. I love this verse right here. He says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. And that's my favorite part right there, that he who watches over you. And it's this idea that God watches over you. It's this idea that God is constantly on the lookout for your life, that God is the watcher of your life, and you're the watchee. Like, he's looking at your life, and he's constantly evaluating where you are and where you're going and trying to get you on the right path all the time. And what happens in life is that if no one is watching over you, man, your life starts to crumble. But it should give us great hope that there is this God in heaven that is keeping watch over every circumstance and every situation that we're going through. And he's walking in the situation and he's going, listen, fear not. I'm bringing you peace. But if we're honest with ourselves and if I'm honest with myself, a lot of times I'm looking at my situation and my circumstances and the fears that I'm facing and my hands are going up and I'm like, God, where the heck are you? 
Like, I thought you were going to show up, and I thought you were going to heal me of this disease. Like, what's the deal? Where are you at? God, I thought you were going to show up, and you were going to provide in this moment, and, and you haven't come at this time yet, and it's due in like two hours, and, and God, like, you need to come right now. A lot of us feel like God has abandoned us or God has forgotten about us. And, and it's in those moments that it's so natural for us to want to run back to our safe spot. It's so natural for me to want to run back to that place where I can run and I can curl up in that closet and I can feel safe in that moment. For the disciples, it was the upper room. They knew that if they could run to that place, they would be safe for that moment. Where are you running when you're afraid? Today, where are you running? Maybe that's a hard question for you to answer. Think back to when you were a kid. Where did you run when you were a kid? Maybe it was a room in your house that you found comfort in. Maybe for some of you, when your friends were making fun of you or something, you would run to a tree house and hide in there. Or maybe when mom and dad were arguing, you would run to your room and pull covers over your head. And once the covers were over your head, you were completely safe. Every single one of us had a hiding place. Disciples, it was upstairs. Today, you know, if you ran home because you were having a tough day or you were afraid and you pulled covers over your head, people would think you're crazy, you know? And so we've progressed beyond that. And maybe we don't hide that same way, but we all still hide in some form, in some fashion. Maybe for some of us, we're hiding behind a glass of alcohol or two or 17. For others of us, maybe it's, some sort of pill or some sort of illegal narcotic. For others of us, it's we're jumping from relationship to relationship thinking that that's going to bring the security that we need. For others of us, it's, it's work. As, as times get tougher and more difficult and there's more fear and there's more worried, we just up the hours and we go from 40 to 50 to 60 to 70 and we're just a workaholic in life. Every single one of us has these hiding places and sure, these places give temporary relief. You feel safe in that moment. But nowhere does it say that you are to live a safe life. And Jesus today is walking through the walls that you've built up of fear and anxiety. And he's saying, peace be with you. I bring you peace. Because Jesus knew that when you're hiding, that when you were in that hiding place, the plans and the purposes and the destiny that he has for you can never be fulfilled when you're hiding from it. And so he comes to us. Because he knows when we're hiding, we may be surviving. The disciples, they were surviving they were chilling in there. Some of you, you're surviving right now and in, in drinking more. Some of you are surviving right now in that relationship that you're jumping from and to and in and out of. You're surviving right now, but you are not thriving in life. You're missing out on what could and should be for your life. And God has got something absolutely incredible for you. But we're hiding in what we consider our safe place in. And God, I believe today, is telling us there's another place that we need to hide. It's in Psalms 32, 7. It says this, 
You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. He says, he's saying, listen, when you're in that mode of fear and anxiety and you're overwhelmed in that moment, the place that you need to run to isn't all those physical things. The place that you need to run to is in the arms of the Father. You need, to, you need to go and you need to run to him and he, in him you're going to find peace and you're going to find joy. You're going to find purpose. You're going to find love. You're going to find every single thing that you need in that moment. Now what's interesting is if we jump back to the John chapter 20 story of the disciples in the upper room. Jesus comes and he says, man, peace I bring you. And you would just to fast forward a couple scriptures down. You would see that seven days later, these same disciples that Jesus just walked through a wall through, he just resurrected from the dead. They were terrified of all these outside circumstances are right back in the same place where Jesus came to them at. They're right back in the room. And I think that that just shows us that this isn't something that is typically an instantaneous thing in our life. Like, I love the idea of, like, instantaneous, everything's done, changed. Like, we, we're in the fast food society. We like it fast. Like, I want to go to the gym once and have abs. It doesn't work that way. Uh, they tell me they're there, but I don't believe them because I haven't seen them yet. Just like Jesus says we have peace, but we don't see it yet. Doesn't mean that it's not there. So they're back in that place. What it tells me is that this idea of fearing less in life is a process. It's a step-by-step thing. But here's what's cool. If you were to fast forward in those disciples' lives, you would find that Nine out of the ten disciples that were in the upper room that day will eventually die for their faith. The guys that were terrified that somebody might come looking for them will eventually give their lives. And all of them, even the one that didn't die for his faith, all of them will be persecuted in one way or another. In essence, what it's saying is it's saying to us that courage is going to be restored. They're not quite yet there, but courage is coming to them. And I'm here to tell you today, courage is coming to you. If you'll fix your focus and your attention on God, and you'll realize that it's not you, but it's Him who's in complete and total control. And that you're not alone and that God is with you. And you make Jesus this hiding place in your life. It might not be here today or tomorrow, but it's coming. It's what we say here at our church all the time, that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's okay for you to come and not have it all together right now. Because we know that this is a process in your life and for the process is that you're moving forward. We want you to stay where you are. 
But today's the day that we need to run into the arms of our Heavenly Father. Because every one of us is welcomed in His arms. And He realizes we don't have it all together, but that doesn't matter to Him. He just wants us in His arms. And once we get in His arms, I believe that anything is possible in your life. Let's pray. God, I just come before you today and I know that fear and anxiety and worry are very, very real things. And that there's a lot of us here that are, there are some things that are keeping us up at night. There are some things that are overwhelming us right now in our lives. And, and I just really felt like this week with every head bowed and every eye closed as, we, as I was preparing for this, that there are some people right now that you have just got a spirit of fear in your life right now. You're afraid I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your purpose. Maybe it's your calling. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's something that's totally on an opposite end of the spectrum of what I'm saying. But you're, man, you're just afraid right now. And you've got anxiety and you've got all this doubt and you've got this fear creeping up in your life. And and I believe that God is here today and he wants to do something in your life. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, if you just slip your hand up real quick, I want to pray for you. Yeah, people slipping their hands up all over the place. It's okay. It's a church. Nobody's judging you. You're in the judgment-free zone. And slip them up. Yeah. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Real quick. Keep them up. Keep them up. All right. You can put them down. Let me take 30 seconds. I want to tell you two things. For all those that, that, that raise your hand, you can look at me. The rest of you all keep your head down. Maybe you're just too afraid to put your hand up. You can just look up and now, right now, too. Number one, you're not alone. Don't buy into the lie that you are alone in this moment. God says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You're not abandoned. You're not by yourself. God is with you. And let me tell you this, this church body is with you. We are Coastal Community Church. We do life together. You are not alone. Number two, today is the day that you need to run to your hiding place. It says that if we'll draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And man, it's time for us to run into the arms of our Father like we've never have before. And so, God, I just come before you, and I just pray for every single person that lifted their hand today. There's a lot of people that are dealing with a spirit of fear, and we thank you that your word says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we don't have to live with a spirit of, uh, of fear, but we have power, love, and a sound mind because of your son, Jesus Christ. And I just pray right now that the power of Jesus would fall all over this room right now, that of people that are dealing with anxiety, that people that are dealing with fear, that people that are fear, dealing with doubt, and, and all these other circumstances, God, that you would just come and you would meet them in this moment as we draw near to you, as we pursue you, as we put our focus and our attention on you, God, that those things would start to dissipate from our lives and that we would find comfort, that we would find relief, that we would find healing, and that we would find wholeness in your arms here today, God. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you for the restorative process that you're having in people's lives right now. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.